Okay, so um, uh, we're going to make a start on uh, looking at the root verses of the six uh, bardos, the root or main verses of the six bardos. And they're called the root or the main verses because they summarise how to practice in each of the six bardos. Uh, You are told that you need to uh, learn these verses and uh, make them learn them by heart, uh, make them a part of the stream of your being, so that when you are actually in, in one of these bardos, they immediately come to mind, and you're immediately uh, told, um, immediately know how to practice. And these root verses of the six bardos are part of the well-known. Bardo Todo, or the great liberation through hearing in the Bardo, through hearing in the in-between, which is itself, the Bardo Todo, part of a cycle of treasure teachings, terma teachings, discovered in the 14th century by a rather obscure Nyingma mystic uh, Turton named Rigzin Karmalingpa. Uh, Rigzin means Vidyadara, knowledge holder, spell holder. Um, and he came from Dakpo in southeast Tibet, where Gampopa came from much earlier. You can turn over now, Stana Shraddha. Um, originally, the Bardo Tadol and its related teachings was rather an obscure tradition, uh, dealing especially with death, the signs of death, uh, and so on, and various funeral rituals and the practices that that, that, that are associated with that that you uh, practice in life. And it was a very, very um, obscure lineage. Um, it's quite possible that Karmalingpa himself was poisoned, was murdered uh, by a jealous uh, disciple. Um, so it was a rather strange uh, lineage. I might say a little bit more about that later. Uh, But the Bardo Tadol became famous because of W.Y. Evans Fence and his Oxford Tibetan series, and it came out as the Tibetan Book of the Dead. He made it actually a very famous uh, book. It's very important to keep this in mind, I think, that the Bardo Tadol is not the only Tibetan tradition of what happens at the time of death and after death. It's one tradition, and originally not that well known. Um, There there are famous Gelugpa monks being asked about the Bardo Tadol, Tibetan Book of the Dead, and they don't even know what what it's about at all. They have quite different uh, death rituals. I think this is really important. And of course, it's not the only Buddhist tradition of what happens at the time of death and what happens afterwards. I mean, Shin Buddhism, for example, has a very, very strong emphasis on uh, Amitabha and the Pure Land at the time of death. And I think this is very, very important, um, that that, that we don't have any dogmas around what happens at death and what happens after death, and and to think that the the descriptions in the Bardo Tadol are the way things are. Um, So that's, that's very important, I feel. Nonetheless... It is an incredible text, but I'll come to that a bit later. 
Bunty himself was very, very keen on the root verses of the six bardos and very taken with the um, bardo Tadol. He gave a very, very good lecture on the bardo Tadol in the aspects of Buddhist psychology series very early on. The psycho-spiritual symbol of, symbols of the Tibetan Book of the Dead is a really fantastic lecture. And he actually taught the root verses of the six bardos um, as a meditation practice uh, on the Dhyana for Beginners seminar in 1974 or 75. Uh, on that seminar, Bhante felt that uh, G's Dhyana for Beginners was the best meditation, uh, traditional meditation manual that he'd come across. Uh, but on that retreat, he taught a traditional set of practices uh, which correspond to a particular set of five poisons. So mindfulness of breathing is the antidote to the poison of distraction. Metabhavna is the antidote to uh, the poison of ill will. The contemplation of the 24 Nidanas is the antidote to the poison of ignorance, delusion, confusion. The six element practice is the antidote to conceit, very important, conceit. Um, and death meditation is the antidote to craving. Uh, sometimes the Ashuba Bhavna, the, the recollection of ugliness, but uh, death meditation is also acceptable as an antidote to craving. And Bhante wanted the meditation on death to be placed in an inspiring context. So he thought the, the meditation on the root verses would be the way to do that. And the way he taught it was that you sit silently in meditation, you gather your uh, shamatha, and then you, you would recite uh, to yourself, eventually silently, seven times, um, uh, go recite the six verses seven times. Um, that's, that's the way he taught it. And I remember um, there was a Mitra I met after the seminar who eventually was ordained as a Jita. Some of you might remember a Jita. And he said, listening to Bhante read the root verses while you were meditating, he said he felt as if he was a dead person. It's very, very striking, just the way Bhante, the, Bhante, the way Bhante read it. Um, these... Um, uh, these these root verses of the six bardos are very very rich indeed and they're absolutely packed full of dharma i mean they really are an essential an essentialized teaching uh and the, the bardo Tadel itself is just full of dharma absolutely absolutely full of dharma uh much basic dharma and this is really important um you know classic shravakayana uh, dharma, Mahayana, Dharma. Um, very much, though, with the view of the Nyingmapa Ati Yoga, Zogchen, and, uh, imply, uh, and employing the deities of what's known as the Guhya Garba Tantra. This is a very, very important uh, Tantra of the Nyingma school, the Guhya Garba. The, the five Buddha mandala, the five Buddhas, their consorts, the wrathful deities, they're all derived from this tantra called the Guhya Garba. Um, uh, so that's, uh, again, there's a, there's a sort of point here, again, we need to bear in mind, our five Buddha Mandala is a sort of slightly diluted form of, of the Guhya Garba tantra material. It's only one five Buddha system. 
again, really important. This is a good one. You know, it's very, very uh, helpful. I'm not saying we should change it, but it's very important when you, when, you, when you read this material. There are other tantric systems which have quite a different symbolism with Akshobhya at the centre, for example. Anyway, these, these sort of things really fascinate me. They might not fascinate you, but they fascinate me. Um, but the root verses of the six bardos, they, they deal with essential areas of life and therefore essential areas of dharma. Um, we'll see that they're not simply about transience and the time of actual death and rebirth, but really the root verses you could see are, ve- are very much to do with spiritual death and spiritual rebirth. Um, they're really talking about um, the transformation of the experience of all areas of life and death into spiritual death and spiritual rebirth. That's what's really going on in the Bardo Tadol. The actual experience of death and rebirth and the in-between is, with the, is, is really to do with transforming those experiences into spiritual death and spiritual re- rebirth. And of course... Spiritual death and spiritual rebirth is the essence of an order member's life. That's what we should be, you know, really concerned with. Um, you know, that's what we're—that's the sort of space ideally we're living in after ordination. You know, constant spiritual death and spiritual rebirth. I mean, in a way, it's never-ending, constant uh, transformation of all experience onto the path. And of course, Padmasambhava as far as Bhante concerned, is the archetype, the transcendental archetype of transformation. I remember once, uh, not, not so long ago, it was in Majamaloka days, going for a walk with Bhante around the park. And um, I was asking him how he saw Padmasambhava. I mean, I really, I really wanted to know how he saw him in vision. You know, what did he look like to Bhante? And uh, he stopped. We actually he stopped walking, and we and he paused and he said, and it, and it really hit home. It wasn't anything new, but it really hit home. He said, "The way I see Padmasambhava is that he is the great transformer." He said, "It's about transforming." He said, "It's not. It's not really transforming evil or the demonic or anything like that. But it's natural forces being transformed onto the path." And it was one of those moments where, you know, looking out across the lake in that part, the boating lake or whatever it is, the bird lake, where, you, where just for a sh- there's a kind of shift in uh, perception in that moment. But of course, it's, you know, Pampasambhava's very concerned with the transformation of the most challenging and the most difficult areas of life. You know, where we feel it's the last, you know, where we feel the Dharma is kind of not present, where it's really, really difficult. Pabasamava is sort of infamous in a way for going to the most difficult and dangerous, even the bleakest places, and finding the Dharma there and finding uh, the, the point of transformation there, the path of liberation there. So as I said, Karma Lingpa is a turtan. Uh, that means a treasure finder, one who finds treasure, tur meaning treasure which means he's an emanation, a tupa, of Padmasambhava, uh, Guru Padmasambhava. He, that means he was a disciple of Padmasambhava. I don't know which of the disciples of Padmasambhava he was. 
in the 8th century. This is the, I'm just giving you it straight, the Nyingma tradition of Terma. I mean, historically, maybe it doesn't stack up, but who cares? Um, so sometime during Padmasambhava's time in Tibet in the 8th century, uh, he gathered his disciples together and he transmitted to them all the different initiations and teachings and introduced them to the uh, nature of, of, of mind and all that kind of thing. And at the same time, he transmitted to them hidden teachings, the kind of buried teachings within their consciousness. And at the same time, hid throughout Tibet all sorts of objects and strange things uh, to be found at a later date. I mean, it's an in when you look into the term of tradition, it's extraordinarily rich. I mean, whatever's going on there, it's uh, an amazingly rich and inspired uh, tradition. And it's worth noticing that, noting that everything we really know about Padmasambhava is ter. It's, it's all treasure texts. There's very little hard historical fact, like the life and liberation of Padmasambhava is a treasure text found in the, whatever it was, the 12th century, 13th century. Uh, the cult of Padmasambhava started quite late in Tibet, really, 14th century, along with the cult of Avalokiteshvara. Uh, it's not a problem for me. Um, I find that fine. Some people find all this a bit disturbing when they hear about that, but you just have to change your, your perspectives. I think. Um, so these 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 terma texts, of course, are all to do with the fact that Padmasambhava um, can see into the future. Um, he uh, wants people to have teachings and practices that they're going to need in uh, their time and place, uh, as he says in one of his. Uh, well, it is advice to the treasure teachers, uh, the treasure revealers. He says, the guru of times past is not the guru of future men, not the guru of future people. The guru of times past is not the guru of future people, which is a, an incredible um, uh, saying. Uh, that, in other words, the teaching, the dharma, has to respond to entirely new and different circumstances and situations. It's funny with these tertans as well, these, these treasure finders, they're, they're emanations of uh, Padmasambhava's disciples, but because they know intimately Padmasambhava's mind, they're also regarded as emanations of, of Padmasambhava. So at some point in the 14th century, I think, I can't remember the actual date, Karamalingpa, found in the mountains in, in uh, Dagpo, somewhere in southeast uh, Tibet. He found a set of yellow scrolls with Darkani script on them, uh, which is a kind of code language, just a, a few letters. And seeing that script sparked off a whole uh, memory of this great teaching that Padmasambhava had hidden in his mind. And out of that memory, he composed the whole cycle of teachings associated with the Bardo Tadol. There's a very interesting um, relationship between terma and memory. A very, very interesting area, because terma is all remembered teachings, 
but remembered teachings in the present for what is needed now. Um, I, I don't know if it's the same thing, but after Bhante died, uh, I noticed all sorts of memories arising to do with things that uh, he'd said, uh, different things associated with my ordination ceremony. There was just this sort of just memory after memory, things sort of forgotten and hidden away and which were sort of flowering into, um, well, they flowered into talks. I actually gave a talk in Brighton, which also was associated with objects that are still in the Brighton centre that go back to pre uh, Tree Ratner in Brighton because I was involved before we even had a centre there and I realised how much uh, terma is associated with objects uh, the dharma of objects if you like, very very interesting area, I'm not saying they, they're ter in the strict sense but um, it's a very very interesting area um, memory is such an amazing thing we often associate memory these days with trauma and difficult material, but memory uh, is extraordinarily important in the Dharma life. Um, I think there's a whole um, talk, probably a book to write on memory and spiritual experience. Um, the word for memory, of course, is smriti, uh, sati. Um, mindfulness is memory, actually. It's remembering uh, what you're about. And... Um, you know, this is just a bit of an aside, but, but the life of the Buddha is crucial uh, because of memory. The Buddha is saved by memory uh, in his striving for enlightenment, you know, where he's going through the extreme ascetic period. What saves him is memory. It's the memory of meditating spontaneously under that rose apple tree, the memory of uh, dhyana, the memory of skillfulness and pleasure uh, being associated. The great mistake he'd made in his Dharma life was to think that pleasure generated by skillfulness was unskillful. That was the great problem with asceticism. And he recognised, no, the pleasure that uh, derives from uh, dhyana is fuel for spiritual life. The discovery of the middle way isn't just to do with taking solid food and so on. The discovery of the, the middle way is uh, what Bhante once called the, the realisation of the non-difference of reality principle and pleasure principle. That's, that's what the middle way re, uh, really is. Uh, but it's memory that, 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 saves, that saves the Buddha. And I think that we, uh, I think a lot of people get into difficulty in Dharma life because they forget their original vision. Okay, the middle way is the, the, the realisation of the non-difference of reality principle and pleasure principle. Uh, the reference here is to, do you remember those wonderful old format mitratars on the Eightfold Path? Big format, a big, wonderful magazines. So with, it, it's a crime that these aren't in print, really, it's criminal. Um, I'm not going to blame anybody there. Um, but there are these seminar extracts in the back, and one of them is on reality principle and pleasure principle as the middle way. Um, fantastic. Uh, well worth looking up.
Is that, is that okay? Should we send them? You yeah. got that? Good. Yes, we, 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 we too easily forget our original, uh, if you like, our original vision. And we, we often need to track back to our starting point. You know, we can get sort of lost in, you know, lost in the woods and, and forget the path that, 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 that we started out with. But this is a, a sort of a, a bit of an aside, really. Uh, Bunty has some very interesting things to say about uh, Terma and Turton in that uh, wonderful lecture he gave at the LBC uh, not long after its opening, 1979, Papa Samba Day, 1979. It's one of his very best uh, lectures, and it, you know, it, it, in the early days it got distributed as a bootleg because for some reason it got got suppressed. Nobody knows why. Um, <laughs> nothing wrong with it at all um uh but he it's there he talks about those archetypes um he talks about sorry about this he uses the word manu um he means the lawgiver yeah the buddha the guru and the turton the treasure finder um but in the course of that lecture he talks about that incredible demon that he thought that we needed to be more familiar with that uh, is in the life and liberation of Padmasambhava, uh, Tarpa Nagpo, uh, Black Salvation, uh, this uh, extraordinary demon um, who has become a demon because he's misinterpreted uh, Zogchen teaching and he's gone on a very, very wrong uh, path indeed. Um, but in, in one of the chapters of the life and liberation, um, about Terma, it describes Tapa Nagpo's body as coextensive with the whole of the universe. So this, this is this, is all part of a massive demonic body. And Bhante, said, Bhante just said, "Well, we are Tapa Nagpo. The Tapa Nagpo is uh, the world." And you know, he mentioned in that lecture the fact that. Not far from the LBC is the city of London, uh, with all its banks and um, money-making places, and uh, that uh, it's very, very much the world. Um, but in this particular section of the Life and Liberation, it said that treasure is found in different parts of Tarapanagpo's body, found in his eyes, in his ears in his nostrils, in his heart, in his liver, in his spleen, uh, all over his body there are treasures, in his brain. But he didn't say much about that, but he says, he just said, the medicine is found in the disease. The medicine is found in, in the disease. And, uh, uh, well, um, go and meditate on that. Um, you, you have to go into the dark and difficult places to extract uh, the treasure. Often it's, as I said, it's in the really difficult times, the painful times, times of loss and, and, and so on, and illness and, and, and so on and so forth, where we find the real treasures of the Dharma. It's very, very interesting that the life of a treasure revealer is, um, is perilous. Um, this is another thing that there's all sorts of uh, predictions that are 
a treasure revealer. You know, never fancy yourself as a treasure revealer. Um, it's it's not an easy path. Um, uh, there are all sorts of uh, auspices that you have to fulfil, and if things are slightly off, bad things can can happen to you. Um, as I said, Karma Limpo uh, was uh, probably assassinated, and they think that's because he didn't fulfil all the auspices of the treasure, even though he did bring a great treasure into the world. So to be a treasure revealer, you need to be a bodhisattva. You need to uh, be prepared to do difficult, dangerous things to bring the dharma for now into existence. Um, so it's all about finding the treasure in the dark and, and difficult uh, places. At the same time, as I've said, there's, there's this strong element of memory and recollection of dharma and tradition. This is really, really important. Um, you know, when you, when you look at the findings of treasures, very often they find treasures in uh, old rupas, old monasteries, old temples. And I was thinking of, uh, um, you know, Bhante's emphasis on going for refuge. You could say that it's almost like an old ritual and its real meaning has been lost sight of. And Bhante extracted the treasure from the real treasure uh, in the act of, of going for refuge, liberates it from being a, an old ritual, a rather dead ritual, into a profound spiritual experience. And there's so much Dharma that, that, that Bhante's done that with. So, yeah, that can stay... So we're going to, I'm moving on now, I want to talk a bit about the meaning of the word bardo itself. So bardo literally means between two. So do is two and bar means between. And it corresponds to the Sanskrit term antarabhava, antarabhava. Um, bhava meaning existence or becoming. Um, so antarabha and bhava, uh, antara meaning between. So antarabhava means the intermediate state, or better still, the in-between existence, the in-between becoming. And originally antarabhava refers exclusively to the intermediate, intermediate existence between death and rebirth the liminal state between death and rebirth, between uh, uh, dying and punabhava, again becoming. Most of the early schools believed, this early Indian Buddhist schools, believed that there was an intermediate existence between uh, death and rebirth. The Theravada, notably, didn't and some of the other early schools uh, didn't. You can see the, the remains of polemics about this. But Savastivada, probably the most in influential early Buddhist school, uh, which you know, was very, very uh, uh, dominant in India uh, for many, many centuries, um, believed strongly in the intermediate state. Vasubandhu, uh, fourth century, 
uh, based on uh, older sources in his huge Abhidharma Kosha, which is like a Buddhist encyclopedia, incredibly influential all over the Buddhist world. He argues strongly for an intermediate state, um, very, very strongly for an intermediate state. And many, many of the details from the Bardo Tudor actually go back to ancient Indian Buddhist tradition. They go back to probably before the fourth century. So this is really important. You know, we're not just dealing with some Tibeti uh, tantric thing. Um, we're going right back to Shravakayana, to use that language, uh, uh, Buddhism. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, they identify the name of, of they give it the, the status, if you like, of the being in the intermediate state is known as the Gandharva, uh, which means a perfume eater. That's why it's very important to burn lots of incense um, when somebody's died so that they've got some nourishment. Um, but a lot of the uh, descriptions of the visions that happen in the in-between are derived from uh, early Indian Buddhism. Uh, this experience of being crushed by mountains, um, of being blown by great winds across plains, the winds of karma. They're all sort of signs and symbols uh, derived from Indian Buddhism. Um, describing this this passageway uh, to rebirth, even the famous or, or the infamous detail of, the, of that we're reborn because of Oedipal desire. You know that we have a vision of a of a couple copulating, and we're desperate to get between them out of craving and jealousy. That's ancient Indian. It's not it's not a Tibetan tantric thing uh, that we're reborn out of intense. Uh, craving and jealousy that that derives from Indian Buddhism. Um, the what's 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 important about the Bardo Tadol? It gives you very very precise instructions of how you practice in that space. Uh, it, it gives very very precise instructions for that. In the Indian Vajrayana. Um, the notion of antarabhava, um, the in, the in between, um, gets developed. It's extended into all sorts of other areas. Um, uh, Milarepa, for example, in one of his songs, uh, sings of a Kagyu tantric tradition, which goes back to uh, goes back to Marpa, Narapatilipo, etc., uh, which describes all sorts of tantric bardus, which uh, I must say, I find, I don't really know what they are. They seem rather obscure. Um, I won't go into those. But um, Karma Lingpa, Papasambhava, the Nyingma tradition, recognise six bardos, six in-betweens. The bardo of life, or the birthplace bardo, the bardo of dream and sleep, the bardo of meditation in the sense of dhyana or samadhi, the bardo of the moment of death, the bardo of reality <coughs> as such, dharmata, and the bardo of becoming, taking rebirth. So these six are to be regarded as spaces, <coughs> moments, openings in which there is tremendous 
possibility for transformation, uh, for liberation, for breakthrough into enlightenment. Uh, Bhante uh, regards the bardo actually as the gap. This is where he first talks about the gap, as far as I know, is in his talk on the six bardos. Um, he says it's a very, very profound teaching, the teaching of, of the gap, the space uh, between karma processes um, coming to an end and result processes, rebirth processes. So in the gap, there is the possibility of not being driven along in the same old way. There's a possibility, there's an opening for a profound uh, change. Uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, in his commentary on the um, uh, uh, Bardo Tadol, speaks of Bardo as a loss of ground. Uh, a loss of ground. What a Bardo is, is where everything solid breaks up. There's a kind of disintegration. Uh, Bhante puts it more strongly than that. It's not just loss of ground. Everything is swept away. Uh, there's the loss of something fundamental something fundamental that you've relied upon, that you've assumed uh, to be there, uh, if you like, that it's the taking away of, of, of the familiar refuges that you've leaned on. Uh, the familiar um, is taken away. So obviously death. You can see why death, therefore, is a bardo. But it can be at other times loss, uh, the end of a relationship, um, illness, uh, ageing, suddenly waking up to the fact that things don't work like they used to. Um, but other things, I think it was on the seminar on Trumper's commentary on the Bardo to Dolband, he said, well, a retreat could be a Bardo, providing you actually give things up. Um, if you're carrying on in the same old way on retreats, then it's not going to be much of a Bardo. You actually need to take things away. Um, uh, I, I think it's very important as well that Bardo, Bardo isn't a passive state. I've noticed people sometimes, you know, you get a reporting in, don't you? And say, well, I'm in a bit of a Bardo. And you get the feeling that it's almost like a sort of limbo, a kind of, and people are a bit sort of passive to experience. That's not really how one should practice in a Bardo. There's a tremendous emphasis on vigilance in the bardo, as we'll see as we go through the six verses of, of, of apramada, of, of, an, of a real alert uh, mindfulness and uh, vigilance. Um, tremendous emphasis on that. Um, one of the things that came up for me after Bhante died was the uh, exhortation after which we've all received after we've... Um, received the refuges and precepts. Do you remember having well observed the three refuges together with the ordination vows, with mindfulness strive on, apamardena sampardeta? I could sort of hear him uh, saying that. And Bhante saying, always used to say ordination, when he did ordinations, it's as if the Buddha is saying, because these are the Buddha's last words, so your preceptor is sort of standing for the Buddha, in a sense, uh, when they say that to you. Um, this is all you need uh, vigilance and effort you need to wake up to your situation and circumstances and then apply the necessary effort uh, 
And Dilgo Kensi in his commentary on Apadmasambhava Guru Yoga from the Nyingtig tradition more or less says that Apramada is the Guru. If you really internalise the teacher, if you really want to internalise Padmasambhava, it's Apramada. Um, because that's what a guru, a real teacher does. They, they tune you up uh, all the time. So you have to internalise that. Uh, you, make, you take that inside you uh, in relation to everything. So the six uh, Bardo teachings are making us aware of particular areas in life, particular bardos that we need to pay attention to and telling us how to practice in them. They're direct, essential, pith instructions from Padmasambhava, from the gurus of the Nyingmapa tradition. They are the precept of the Lama, uh, uh, which Atisha says is more important than all of the sutras and the commentaries, that essentialized teaching that we have to internalize for uh, all of our circumstances. So I think we'll stop there actually, and we'll come to the, we'll go into the Bardo of life uh, tomorrow, but I think we'll stop there. I think that's enough for this morning. Um, I definitely want to stop by half past 10, so we've got a half hour break, but are there any uh, questions that, anything that you want to ask before we close? To uh, um, the, the last, um, you know, the last verse uh, of with mindfulness strap on, say that in, in Sanskrit, like it's said in the ordination. I can write it down. T saranena. Well, uh, you want to write it down? Yeah. Oh, just the apamadena sampadeta. Yeah. So I'll write it up yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so um, let's have a break and 12 o'clock in the shrine room. Um, bring, uh, bring your sheets. Um, you won't need to bring the sardana. Well, you could bring the sardana, because but I'm going to talk us through it. But if you could bring the uh, invocation uh, sheet and the, the prayer to the guru, that would be good. All right? Great, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.